Welcome to the Unusual Creatures Podcast, a podcast about the unusual creatures that fall in love, stay, stray, come back, and sometimes leave this insane business of artistry and show. Against all odds, our guests have persevered and told stories using their mediums of choice. Now, these are their stories and our stories. The incredible people who you might know by sight, whose names you may not recognize, whose work you've definitely experienced or will one day experience. Art is a ripple effect, and these artists' creativity makes a lasting impact. Let's hear more. Good morning, good evening, good night. Ladies, gentlemen, non-binary humans, welcome. Welcome, welcome to the Unusual Creatures Podcast. You guys know me. My name is Jenny Gomez. And I'm your favorite Thomas Dane. Oh, of all the Thomas Danes. Of all the Thomas Danes. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the favorite of the hosts. We have to throw down. <laughs> I almost got you right. <laughs> like, you did. You did. So I don't know. I don't know if there are other Thomas Danes. You know, I until you ever. I've been discovering things through my writing recently, because um, I write you know silly things based off of Reddit and, and all that. It's the social edge. Check me out, everyone. I work. I write on Percolately and um, GeorgeChikai.com. Anyway, anyway, how are you, Jenny? How's the summer going? It's good. It's coming to a close, which is always uh, depressing. I mean, I'm not living in North Carolina is a blessing because we get seasons and they don't get too, too crazy. Like climate change has hit us. Like I think everybody like where Mm -hmm. our our summers have been a little hotter. Our winters have been a little colder, a little later, but our falls are really, really nice. So I don't hate the fall. I don't hate the end of summer as much in North Carolina. Because I feel like the weather is just so pretty. So, so I guess something to look forward to. Yeah, it's a give and take. It's a give and take. And speaking of end of summer for everyone, this is our official season one finale. We have made it to the season finale, darlings. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Can you believe it? So many people. So many wonderful people. I am shocked. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we want to let everybody know that we are taking um, some time off for the next uh, three to four weeks. We will be back with some more fabulous creatures and some special, some special tricks in our bags and up our sleeves. We're very excited for everybody. Are you excited, Jenny? Season two? Are you excited? I, of course, of course. We have some new. We have a lot of new things. We have some maybe maybe a merch store. Uh, we, we're going to have some new art that we're launching. So we're we're kicking it up a notch. If, if you know. Which is going to be fabulous. And in between uh, the next few weeks, we're going to do a couple mini episodes to keep up with you, just to let you know that we're here and remind you we're coming back. Just a few, just a few couple minutes here and there, so you don't miss us too much. It's I know, for, but for the of world. course they're going to miss us. Of course. <laughs> so, so who do we have to end this fabulous first season, Jenny? Who do we have this week? Well, we have another lovely pod match. Uh, I have to shout out the platform. Uh, it's a great platform if you're a podcaster and, and need to find guests. And we jumped on Podmatch um, also to monetize a little bit, which has been kind of our favorite thing about the platform. Um, Tom and I can obviously delve into our bag of tricks and find amazing artists. Uh, but Podmatch gives us that little bit of an extra boost. And so we're really, really happy uh, to partner with them and use Podmatch. But, but, and, and, and they just do a great job of partnering you with like the right kinds of people. So when Tyler reached out, and we got matched on Podmatch, just like Tinder for podcasters. Um, <laughs> when we got matched on Podmatch, yes. I was like, this guy is absolutely an unusual creature. This is the kind of guy, I mean, I think he shot us an email and it was just like full of life. And he was like, I can be whatever you want me to be. And I'm like, yep, this, that, that's, that's, that's an unusual creature. Uh, lots of and flexibility he wrote a, he, and adaptability. <laughs> he wrote a book about being naked and I love it. 
and I can't wait to talk, to talk about, about that. We love to talk about nudity. Um, <laughs> it's much deeper than that, but <laughs> yes, I, I, I absolutely. Um, but it's catchy. <laughs> this gentleman uh, goes by two names, three names actually, technically, if you if you count it that way. Um, <laughs> but you can find him. His union name, of course is and we'll talk about what his non-union name is and what his mother prefers to call him and then what his wife prefers to call him because it's all different uh, <laughs> so uh, yes indeed should we should we introduce our guest John? what do you think Let's. yes go ahead darling who do who is it who is it who is it? who is it the big unveil uh without further ado let's talk to sean tyler foley otherwise known as or sometimes known as tyler foley ladies and gentlemen Ooh, hello tyler welcome oh hi thomas hi jenny <laughs> that hi. was probably the best intro i've had in years that was oh great. my god we will take that compliment <laughs> i'll take it i'll take it we'll take anything thank you so After- much for being here tyler Yes. Well, it's a it's a it's a joy, and honestly, I I love listening to you guys anyway. So to be able to get onto the show is kind of fun to be part of the banter oh. and the back and forth. So yes, well, well get ready, buckle up, honey. Well, <laughs> I, I I have a five point harness on for this one. This Hey-o. is <laughs> that's why he wrote the book, people. It's why he uh-huh. wrote. <laughs> so. So then, Tyler, what, let, let's begin. Since we know, really, we don't. We only know about your bio and the research we've done on you. Tell us, what is your villain origin story? Where does Tyler start? Oh, reach back way into the bag of tricks. I, um, I was basically tap dancing in the womb, so I was a born performer. Um, and, you know, I was always that kid who, um, you know, when the family came over for, you know, special events and occasions like Christmas and Easter and all of, and birthdays, you know, I was like, look at me, look at me, look at me. And, you know, I remember getting like a um, beginner magic kit when I was like three or four years old. I loved magic. Absolutely. was fascinated oh my by it. My dad. You were that kid at the family dinner. You were that I kid was, at Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. I was. Yeah. I was. My dad took me to my first magic show when I was three. And uh, I was just fascinated by it because, like, you know, the guy was making the quarters drop out of my nose and stuff like that. And I was like, <laughs> how? How? And why? And I, I was fascinated. I wanted to learn. And uh, so they did, they got me this magic kit when I was four and then I was doing magic for the family for years and years and years. And then when my um, father unfortunately passed away when I was six years old, um, Mm -hmm. I uh, got into theater as as an outlet, as an emotional Mm -hmm. place to express myself, especially at sixth grade. It's really hard to process um, death and and what that means. So my, not only did it become my emotional outlet, but then it became my family. You know, I yeah, think that's right. one of the greatest things about being in the craft is that we're all together. We're all, um, for the most part, really quite supportive. And uh, I just, I grew up a theater brat and then um, it, late in my teens, got into film and television, um, did some stunt work. And uh, it, when you start acting professionally at six years old, the um, great joy and benefit of it is when you have a 20 year career, you're able to walk away and retire at 25, <laughs> take your, <laughs> your mad movie star money and, and go uh, back to school. And so I actually um, retired for a, a period of time, got an engineering discipline, started my own uh, company. No kidding. That failed wow. miserably, by the way. That, that, that didn't go very good. <laughs> I was like, I was a three-year lesson in what not to do with money. If you, if yeah. You ever, that's, yeah. If you ever want to make a million dollars, 
take $10 million and start your own company. You'll end up with a million dollars in your bank account. That's how it goes. Oh, oh no. Uh, See, this is something that people should really learn more of in yeah. school. And then like, let's, let me sit you down and tell you exactly what to do with your pennies, penny by penny. Yeah. As opposed to like all these other classes we don't need, you know, continue. Oh my goodness. Well, and the worst part is too, is like my favorite thing to do now, if I get like, it, cause I, I, that business failed and I started a, a new consulting agency, which is thriving. And when it's doing really well, my favorite thing to do is, um, you know, support local theater, which is just mm. like just pissing money down the drain. Like, you go. oh, you've got a new musical you want to produce. Nobody's heard about it. Let's put it on for three. Yeah, and who me, are you? That's yeah. my money. Yeah. <laughs> no, but the great thing is, is I've actually met some incredible humans doing that. The, the, um, most recent production that I helped produce was called Feather Pen Fairy Tales by an unbelievable playwright. Her name's Marin Ord. Um, and uh, Marin Burnham married, but professionally Marin Ord. <laughs> Talking about, you know, names who names change. I know her as Marin Burnham. And um, she's just genius. I've never met a more gifted or talented writer in my entire life. The songs that she puts together and composes are haunting and they just, they stick in your head. You want to talk about earworm bait? Oh man, those okay. things just drill into your head. So is she so very much, is she Canada based as well? Oh yeah. 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 Um, originally from Edmonton and now based out of Okotoks, which is just South of Calgary. And I don't expect any U S listeners to know where any of that is. So just not where Okotoks is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, there. Oh, well, of course. And also, I mean, sidebar and I hate, to, I'm sorry to interrupt, but this, you're also our first is Canuck a dirty word to say to Canadians? No, no, I embrace no. it. I'm happy. Yeah. Okay. Okay, <laughs> your first Canuck and to close out the season, my yes. goodness, I represent like, well, don't I? And you have, and you have my one of my favorite politicians ever, Mr. Trudeau. I I, I don't know if you love him, but I love him. <laughs> and like, it's, it's, I, I'm as weird as it is. I'm more a fan of his father than I am of him. But I, I can definitely see the appeal of Justin and why uh, you know uh, he is he is renowned throughout the world. Well, welcome. You quit the biz to go do engineering. What was, what, like, why did you, were you over it? Were you over the hustle? Like, what was the inflection point where you're like, I want to go open an engineering company? That's, that's fascinating. That's when everybody's in the thick of it. Your 20s, like, I'm going to be, I'm going to own the fucking world now. Yeah. I'm going to be Madonna. I'm going to be, or like, or, you know, Prince or whoever. Like, oh, yeah. So you're just like, no, I'm out. Because at that point, most people have been doing it for like four years and it's still fresh and wonderful and, and amazing. And I was yeah. I was like 20 years in and I'm like, oh, God, this is a job. I hate this. Right. Um, I, uh, actually, I know it's funny that you say what's the inflection point. I know the exact moment when I decided to retire. Dish. Um, I was uh, driving. So uh, for any uh, any of your listeners who happen to be north of the border or anybody who's done work in Vancouver, um, which is Hollywood North for us, right? Right, of course. Um, West Coast. West Coast represent. Um, <laughs> these days, it's just Hollywood, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the funny thing is, is these days, Hollywood is Vancouver. The amount of production that's going out of Vancouver, it's it just topped $6 billion this year. Wow. Like that, when I was there, they were all excited that they topped a billion. And that was back in um, the early 2000s. The arts. Back in yeah. 05, when I was an actor, it was wonderful in Vancouver. You could still audition getting real sides instead of this digital crap. 
Uh, <laughs> black and white photos. Black and white photos. Oh man, do I miss a black and white headshot? Uh, right. I, I mean, my eyes don't pop as nice in a black and white head, head black and white headshot, but oh, I do, I do miss my black and white. I do. I mean, you could hide a few things here, a few blemishes here and there. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, I yeah. was stunning. Yeah. No, I I was driving uh, from Vancouver. I just done an audition. So, uh, scary movie three actually. And, uh, it was, uh, if anybody knows the kind of backstory of what happened with the scary movie franchise, the Wayans brothers basically got hijacked. Right. uh, And, uh, so the, I don't know what happened with the production, but they were just madly spending money. Like it was going out of style and they added a scene, uh, towards the, towards the end of the filming production but um midway through the movie where they do this news montage uh and there's like they they keep getting all these sightings of these aliens and they see them in different things and each scenario just gets more ridiculous and more ridiculous and Mm -hmm. they end up casting five actors as frat boy numbers one through five and i had uh you know the young face. So I'm going to go and I think everybody ended up auditioning for it. Like all of my friends were in the casting thing. I think they brought in like a hundred guys to the, to the casting session. And um, it was just, you know, big mass cattle call. And so I went and I did the audition and I was actually living in a place called Penticton at the time. Penticton is about three and a half hours into the mountains from Vancouver. It is paradise on earth whenever you know when montreal is my second favorite city in the world uh in canada not in the world but in canada uh penticton is my first like if i could live one place in in the whole of my country penticton would be the place to go and i was on my way back and canada is full of beautiful mountains and pristine preserved national park and provincial parks uh but because they're natural and pristine they have no cell reception And so I was on my way home and I was just about to pass the last city before Nothingville. And that's called Hope, (laughs) ironically. And um, and then I was going to get into Manning Park. And and when you get into Manning Park, you have about an hour and 10 minute stretch of zero cell reception. And no way of turning around, by the way. So my phone goes off and it's my agent. And uh, she's like, Tyler, uh, you got a callback for Scary Movie. I was like, great, when? And, you know, because like wh- typically a callback is two days, three days, a week later, yeah. right? At least. Yeah. At least. No. I said, so when do, you, when do they want to see me? She's like, um, well, the callbacks start at four. And at this point, it was like three o'clock. I was already an hour and a half away from the studio. Like there was no way I was making it there for four. And she's like, and I remember too, she's like, because um, the casting director who was casting it didn't like me. That was the other thing. She did not like me. And my agent fought like hell to get me into the room. And so I go in and, and she's like, if you don't do this, I I'm dropping you as a client. Like you have to come back. Like oh, I wow. fought like hell to get you in. And I'm th- in my head. I'm like, are you kidding? This is like, this barely even a day player role. Like this is a glorified extra role. Like there's no lines with this role. Like why, why is it's not even an under five? Yeah. Why would I? Yeah. You know? And so I was like, "Ah, fine, I will, I will go. And I remember the whole time driving. I was like, I could be in Penticton. I could be sitting at the beach. I could be with my girlfriend right now. I could be, you know, like all of these things. And I was like, so mad going into the studio and uh, I get in. Um, they're running late because 
everybody I'm was always. like, what a callback now? We just auditioned three hours ago kind of thing, right? But they yeah. narrowed us down to, uh, I think, 15 guys, and they were going to then make the cut to, to the five. And, you know, God forbid they could have just told you that day, like, hey, can you mind sticking around? Sticking around, exactly. You know? <laughs> like, so we, um, the, there was a whole group of us, and they were bringing us in in groups, and they wanted to see what our chemistry was. So they, they basically became a screen test. And huh. um, so the five of us would just improv and riff. Well, I'm genius at improv riff, especially when you give me in a scenario <laughs> with four other guys who are like all frat boy. Yeah, I'm going to make yeah. fun of every one of them. Right. Yeah, so yeah. I was just I was I was like King Frat Boy. Subsequently got Frat Boy number one. That's right. Uh, I was uh, one. Hey, I don't know why. So I, I was hey, I was whoa. alpha male, right? And uh and the role, no lines, no lines. The scene is the alien is doing a keg stand and they like um pan through. So there's a couple of frat boys playing beer pong, another one um, doing shots, two of us doing the keg stand with the alien. And when the alien goes to do the keg stand, the two frat boys puke at each other. Because, you know, <laughs> scary movie three. That's, of course. That's yeah. Gonna, right. It's, um, not, it's not, we're not talking about highbrow comedy. <laughs> no, 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 no. And um, scary movie one, maybe, but yeah, here's the yeah, best well, part. A little more so, nuance. No lines. As you guys said, under five, this is a yeah. unionized production. So scale, right? Uh, except for it wasn't. I got paid as a principal performer. So eight lines Whoa. plus. Double scale. Double scale principal performer to puke for the day for, for it. That's how much money they were. And then when I realized that that was what the pay scale was, no wonder my agent was like screaming at me to turn around. Totally. Yeah, and, and I got it. But I remember thinking, how ridiculous is this? Like, I didn't want I didn't want to go back there. One right. of those 15 guys. And in fact, one of those hundred guys very much wanted that role and could have probably used the twenty five hundred bucks. Right. Like, to yeah, 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 yeah. Double scale principal performer. And as a Canadian, uh, we don't get residuals. We get a buyout. And because oh. it was film, we get one hundred thirty percent buyout. Uh, that is good for five years of residuals. So we get bought out of our residuals no matter how much it airs. And then after the five years, we start to get residuals, which by the way, like 10, 15 years, it's, oh my God, 15 years later, 17 years later, wow. I think that came out in 2000. It's been a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Um, I still get a residual check and my wife laughs at me. She's like, must be nice to get money for something you don't do. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I did it. I, it's did a thing it. I did. I it's just, the way the business is, works. It's why people is, like scratch and claw to do it because it's like the residuals. I love how, you know, these all these big projects, all these millions, billions of dollars and the stories that I hear of the utter stupidity. Like who is in charge of the money? And like, why can't I, 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 this place is not functioning. And I don't understand. Like I had a friend who worked at the prop house in LA and he would laugh all the time. They'd rent spoons for hundreds of dollars for a day instead of just running to Walmart, but they have, but they can't just run to Walmart because it's unionized. They have to go through the prop houses and spend, I'm like, just money is just being flushed down the toilet, down the toilet. Well, yeah. no one's everything attention. is a cottage industry. Like that's well, why everything is so bloated. And the funny thing is, is if, like I, I can understand the what would appear at, on the surface to be inflated prices for talent, for props, for locations. If 
if you're doing production all the time, but like where I'm at in Calgary, you know, we, we think we're going gangbusters right now because we had 12 productions come through this year and big name productions too. We filmed the last of us with HBO and each one of their episodes had the budget of a film. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. Um, Under the banner of heaven was here. Uh, That's a phenomenal show. Uh, there's a couple of, you know, some really big name productions that have come through Calgary in the last year. Uh, but, you know, you go for months without performing. So, like, I get why, you know, when you're negotiating a rate, you're like, well, I need this much I money because it's yeah. that long. But if you're in a place like Vancouver, L.A., where production is just churning on a minutely basis, <laughs> like, like. At some point, we need to acknowledge that they're regionally, we need to start negotiating what some of these rates are. Yeah. Because it's like yeah. how, like, a common budget now is $200 million. Like, yeah. I remember when you'd get, we, you'd get a, a budget of 40 million and people were like, whoa, money oh, yeah. bags. What's going right, on like- with that? Like forty Daddy million dollars is producing this, you know, like forty million dollars is an art house film now. That's like, oh please, that's forty million dollars. How do you even survive? How do you make yeah. that film? How do you like, even get a camera? Yeah, <laughs> like, I was looking up the other day the original Batman, the, the Tim Burton, nineteen eighty nine. Its budget was forty eight million dollars. I almost la- I laughed. I, I was like, this, that last one. This last one was like, I think not three. only that, but Warner like, Brothers was like getting. Sp- devoured in variety before the July release oh, of that yeah. too. Cause they were like, you're spent, you spent how much to have an animation guy direct a DC film? Do you know how much money you're about to lose? Oh my God. Well, they, <laughs> made, they, they made the right bet. <laughs> oh man, did they ever. Yeah. So how, so what happened then? So that day happens and you're like, this is it. I can't do this anymore. Like yeah. how did that, how did that work through your head? Well, yeah. uh, real simple. It was like these guy, there are so many people who want it more than me and I've had my share, right? Like what part Ooh. of it was, I looked at my bank account too. And I was like, and my, um, what you guys would have like a Roth, we have an RRSP, uh, registered okay. retirement saving plan as an actor, um, production kicks into my RRSP into a protected account. I'd been mm-hmm. acting for 20 years. Yeah. My RRSP was quite large. And sure. at when I'm looking at it, I'm like, at 25, I've been contributing for almost 20 years. I have enough to go back to school and be debt free, which yeah. not a lot of people right now can do for schooling. Sure. And I was like, the conditions of withdrawing from the RRSP, particularly the unionized protected portion of it, was that um, I could only use it to as a down payment for a house. Okay. Or as uh, uh, for uh, education, if mm. uh, a registered educational institution. So I was like, well, screw it. I'm going to go back to school. So I went back to school and there were three different things that kind of interested me. And when I was looking through the program and my family, well, like everybody in my family it ha- is in earth measurement somehow. My one mm. uncle was a uh, photogrammetrist, which is a fancy word for saying he makes maps with uh, pictures of the ground. So anybody who's flipped on... Okay. Um, Google Earth or like Google, yeah. satellite view on Google, that's sure. photogrammetry. That that's okay. the, the okay. relief of the stitching together of all those aerial images. Um, and all the topography. What, yeah. So there's so there's photogrammetry and then there's topography. My other uncle is a topographical map maker and cartographer. 
Oh, wow. uh, my other uncle is a GIS information specialist. My oh, grandfather wow. was a surveyor. So it's kind of in my blood and I knew everybody. And when That's I was living in Vancouver, one of the first jobs that I had as a side gig uh, to acting was working for my uncle's firm for a year doing scanning of the photography. So I was like, oh, well, uh, this is a thing that I know I can do. Um, so let's do that. So I went back to school and that's the engineering discipline that I got was uh, specializing in uh, geophysics and uh, specifically in uh, photogrammetry and doing. Wow. So you started this company. Yeah. So I thought if my uncle could do it, I could do it, you know. Yeah. And I had a, a really great business partner and uh, we did. She was brilliant and I was there to learn. And then <laughs> she passed away and oh. we didn't have the right director's insurance. And so overnight that business ceased no. to exist, which sucked because ah. that was not only my five-year plan, but it was my 10-year and my 20-year plan. Like I was going to retire with that. Oh my yeah, God. I great, yeah. I had great mentorship. I had great tutelage. My uh, one, um, one of my best friends in the world, Jason, is uh, just a brilliant business lawyer and he was helping me um, put together, you know, some business plans and some strategic planning. Uh, my business partner was uh, well-renowned in the industry, um, very, very uh, educated, published, and uh, and she just she knew what she was doing. But unfortunately, literally overnight, the the business was gone, and that sucked because I was like, I could build this empire, right? Like that was the whole point was to to build. Uh, something that I could eventually, hopefully, pass on to my kids. Yeah, and, um, yeah, and there was just there was no saving it either because th it's millions and millions of dollars worth of equipment that if you don't have the capital to just come and get, and uh, you you can't get it. Like the the we had an interior scan, a mobile scanning cart. So when I was like, we were one of the we were the first company in North America to do interior mobile scanning. So you could geo position and take pictures and have like a 3d representation of a building on the inside. Oh, wow. Um, but that cart was over $1.5 million to build. I, I needed to get top secret government clearance from the U S government, even <laughs> though I'm a Canadian because the inside the cart was what's called an IMU an inertial measurement unit. And it's the, it basically can tell you where you are because it's on this gimbal and it like mm -hmm. knows its orientation, but it's the exact same IMU that they used in scud missiles. Oh shit. So to get clearance to use this little thing so that when it lost its GPS signal, it still knew where it was interior. We had oh to, my we, God. I had to, the, the amount of scrutiny that I had to go through to get this <laughs> unit built was just unbelievable. And that's uh, when they used to care who had weapons. Now, yeah, so that was, yeah, that was, that was fun. But basically like, you know, that was the cheapest thing that we had, you know, I, like when you're flying fleets of planes and we had three aircraft, um, four large scale camera systems, uh, two LIDAR units that were uh, plane mounted. And then we had the LIDAR unit that was mounted on the cart. Like we had, there was at least $20 million worth of, of equipment. Jesus. Just to run this place. Plus our our photogrammetric scanners. So it's not like you know putting a photo in in on your HP and hitting scan, right? Like yeah. this thing has to be measured and precise and and perfectly polished glass. And yeah, it's and oh so overnight God. all that just <clears throat> all that goes poof, just gone, just gone. Just gone. 
Well, what happens to all your assets? Did you have to liquidate and at least get some of that money back? Like, I didn't what even get, I, but it wasn't in my name. It was all in, in her name and we didn't have director's insurance. So when the company went and collapsed, I had no claim to it. And so all of the leaseholders got all the stuff back. So, oh my uh, God. you know, uh, Trimble got the cart back. Uh, right. and Craft got all that back. You know, um, Cessna took the planes. Like, you know, like <laughs> they're like, thank you. These are ours. Okay. Like, thank you for the three year donation to <laughs> our fund. So it was, yeah. yeah, it was, it honestly, it was, it was heart wrenching. I didn't know what to do with myself for a time. And then I um, would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. But I, you know, so, a buddy of mine came and he offered me a, as random as it is. Again, my life has been completely random. Um, it, <laughs> when you're doing that kind of work, you know, particularly uh, geomatics work, um, your primary client is the government. Like they're the ones who care, right? My right. biggest, my biggest client was actually the USGS, the U United States Geological Survey. Sure, um, we had tons of work that we were doing with them. We had a whole bunch with uh, sustainable resource here in Alberta. Um, Canadian government was buying up a lot of our stuff. So uh, one of the things that they will insist on is that you have a safety system in place. So mm -hmm. I had to like draw the short straw between me and my business partner and I had to get all the safety training. So when she passed away, I still had all the safety training and huh. a buddy of mine who runs a, a really, really um, well-renowned um, new electrical wiring company sure. um, said, Hey, I've got this huge project that just started up in, you know, the oil sands up in Northern Alberta and we need a safety officer and more specifically a safety manager. And you have all of this training. If I upgrade your, certificates would you come and be my safety manager i'm sure sounds yeah you're yeah. like i'll do anything at this point <laughs> give me the dirty yeah. oil money i can be an albertan too <laughs> and, uh, and so that's that's what i did and ironically that's how i got to the point where i am now so my consulting agency that i run now focuses primarily on safety consulting and safety training and and that i don't do a lot with it anymore because i'm I know about safety, but I'm not a safety professional. Like I know mm. I hire good safety professionals. I know I'm not. A good safety <laughs> I <professional>. have people. <laughs> yeah. But what I am is very charismatic and a good leader. So I, I tell everybody what to do. And then they're like, yeah, that's nice, Tyler. Uh, we'll go, 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 <laughs> go act, go speak on stage, go do your thing. And go uh, produce and a musical, Tyler, go, go, yeah, go <laughs> produce a musical. And, uh, and so that's, you know, that's kind of what I do now is go around, um, our both of our countries speaking yeah. on speaking it's super meta but now the majority of what you do is speak on speaking what like what was the first did you like were you at a bar and you were inspiring somebody on how to be a better public speaker and you're like i can do this too which that's like, where everybody was, becomes a better because, public speaker at a bar yeah i'm just curious about all this kind of staying and straying along the way like well, you still so managed to sort of weave art into what you do even with your consultancy. So like what, well, here's the funny where thing. was that I, inflection point? Yeah. I tried so hard to bury, um, my performance and my acting, uh, from my resume for years and years and years. And it wasn't until I actually embraced the fact that, Hey, I'm a natural born performer. Like you just gotta, you know, put it up and actually made it a, a selling feature of my consultancy. Yeah, you can get some of those other guys, but what do they know about communication? I'm an actor. I've been communicating to audiences for 37 years. 
you know, and then they go, oh, okay, well, that stands you apart. Before I was like, no, I'm just this guy. And they're like, well, we don't trust this guy. <laughs> like, well, what? I'm really good. Um, but the inflection point actually to pivot to the public speaking came from the safety. Uh, a lot of times when you're on a construction site, they do a thing called a toolbox meeting or a tailgate meeting. And it's just a safety meeting where you get together and talk. And um, on this one, this very large oil sands project, like we're talking, you know, multi, multi million dollars, almost a billion dollar construction project uh, and capital investment that was over two and a half, three years for to build this thing. And um, so there's a lot of stakeholders involved and a lot of players with a lot of money invested into these projects who all have a, a stake in it and they want to make sure that it's going good. So there'd be these quarterly inspections where all of the big wigs, all of the suits would come into the project and, and walk around to check it out. And this one day I had a couple of electricians and electricians like to tell you that you're not an electrician and don't know how to do the job, which they were not incorrect, <laughs> not, and I don't. Uh, but what I do know is what they were doing and how they were doing it was not safe. And I was yelling at them and the guy was like, you're an actor, you don't even know what you're talking about. And I, I looked at him, I'm like, well, I can tell you right now, the safest job that I ever had was jumping out of a six story window doing stunts in Vancouver. And that was 10 times safer than what you're doing right now. And one of the executives who was touring the project heard me because I was, it was a large building and they didn't have a lot of the walls up yet. And so it was very echoey. And, um, and so he heard this. And so he pulled me aside afterwards. He's like, is that true? I said, is what true? He said, did you used to jump out of windows? I'm like, well, well uh, yes, once. <laughs> I was making a point. It was a one-time thing, and but yes, I did. And he goes, and it was safer than this. I was like, oh. And the funny thing is, unfiltered Tyler came right through. Uh, you know, and I didn't care that this guy was in charge of a billion-dollar corporation. I went, I went, oh yeah, <laughs> like unfiltered. Oh yeah, We're and all he got a little shocked. He's like, oh, well, how? I'm like. Well, because that's real safety versus this paper safety. And he goes, could you explain that to me? And so I did. I sat him down. He ended up buying me lunch. We, well, buy me. We went to the cafeteria where the lunch is served for free and he pays for it anyway. Um, <laughs> right. And, uh, and I, I just, I, I broke down how a lot of these large construction firms invest so much time in appearing that they're safe and having all these processes and systems in place. But the reality is, is that a lot of people don't end up following them and a lot of people end up getting hurt because of it. And even when they mm -hmm. do follow them, they're so restrictive and constrictive that oftentimes they're, they're, they're counterproductive to what they would want. Whereas when I'm doing a stunt, there is a real investiture in my life and that stunt going well. And nobody wants to be the person who ends up on variety after having shot their DOP. And, and so when we're, when I was doing that stunt work, I never felt safer. I never felt more protected. I never felt more because everybody from the stunt coordinator to the director, to the AD, to the producers, they, you know, they were all on set and they said, if you don't feel comfortable doing it, you don't do it. Let us know. What do you need? What do you need? And I felt so protected. And so I explained this to him and he goes, that's fascinating. Would you give this as a keynote? I said, what's a keynote? <laughs> like, I didn't know. Like, um... He explained it to me. He's like, we've got the safety stand down. I think this is fascinating. I'd love for you to, to talk about that because I think, I think his initial thing was, I think my board of directors needs to hear this. Like he didn't Absolutely. necessarily want it for 
the regular folk. He wanted it for the board of directors who thought that they were so safe having all of these systems and processes in place where the, you know, the reality was the blue collar guy, the dude on the tools knew that he was going to do whatever he felt was safe, regardless of what the process was. And if he got caught, eh, right. Right. And so that started me doing keynote presentations. And one of the other um, directors, board of directors for this one company approached me and she said, I'm terrified of public speaking and you seem to do it so eloquently. Would you be willing to coach me? Um, You're like, wait a second. Wait a second. A door has opened. A door has opened. You got got the keynote bug and then then you were approached to do, okay, okay. I see it. I see it. I'm like, so tell me more about what this coach, because I'd never heard of executive coaching before ever. Sure. Right. And she's like, Oh, well I have, you know, I have this business coach who's helped me with this. And I have this coach. I really strongly believe in coaching. I really strongly believe in finding experts in their fields who can show you the way. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm an expert in my field. <laughs> like you, you make $250,000 a year and are usually bonused almost that much as well. Like you cleared $500,000 last year. How am I an expert to you? You know, but yeah, sure. That's- pay me. Go for it. <laughs> okay. And then, and, and a good friend of mine, uh, Jason, I reached out to him. I'm like, what is, what's the deal with this? He's like, oh, well, why don't you come and take some of the training with me? And then sure. you'll understand how coaching works. And, yeah, yeah. and then, you know, you do you. I'm like, all right. So I basically take, took her money, invested it back into CTI and getting uh, certified as an accredited coach. And there you go. And so, that's what, so you back do exactly you are. Yeah. So you're still, now you're speaking. So now you do keynote speeches on essentially like presentation skills, but Mm -hmm. then you also do executive coaching one-to-one now. Yeah. Yeah. Is that part of the consultancy or is the safety consultancy something completely different? So safety consultancy is technically something entirely different. And it's funny too, because my consulting agency, I actually took over from my father-in-law. So my consulting uh, agency is actually called CK Scott Consulting Inc. Even though I am <laughs> not CK Scott. And <laughs> under CK Scott is, 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 which is the umbrella organization, there's a series of other ones. So Total Buy-In, which is the safety consultancy, uh, Drop the it. Mic, which is the speaking, and then my brand. So just SeanTylerFoley.com, like the, the Sean Tyler Foley brand. Uh, and then the power to speak naked, power of influence, and all of those other sub brands are are under the umbrella ba- brand of CK Scott Consulting Inc. Got it. Got well, it. Two things. First of all, I, I've just learned again. I just am fascinated by this whole other aspect. I, mean, I don't know how more buildings don't burn down. <laughs> like, we're like we're all we're all just surviving this life on two cans and a string. And like because and I was having flashbacks because my um last year I had to have electricians out to my mother's house and they just I wasn't trying to I don't know anything. And they boy do they love to make me feel like I don't know anything. Else. <laughs> like I had questions just like about this. Like don't worry about it. Don't worry about. It. I'm like oh, well, we're all gonna die. Um, that's why I was having palpitations listening to you because I'm like oh Jesus it's all just a mess. So but um a second pivot. Uh, you mentioned your book. So where does the power of speaking naked? How is that birthed? Well, I I will tell you in one moment. I just I want to I. I don't want you to have a heart attack in that Florida heat. So know that electricians are usually really safe with the work that they do. Like, yes, you just, I'm misty. I am just misty. I'm fanning myself it is, right now. Okay, it is right. the humidity. It you is. Pull down the, the fan. Um, so, Tell me. Uh, 
the the wiring that they do is incredibly safe. How they put that wiring into your wall <laughs> is not. So like they will do the dumbest stuff. Like they will stand on the top of a 12 foot ladder that is not tied off so that they can reach well above their head to try and tug a wire, which is like creating all kinds of fulcrums that don't need to be made, (laughs) you know? And I'm like, and so like your house will be wired incredibly sound, but you will have a dead electrician sitting at the bottom. (laughs) Not because he electrocuted himself, because he fell from a 12 foot height and died. Like that's, that's my problem with electricians. That scares me. Check check your insurance, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) And you ask any electrician, they are the smartest trade. And I would not argue with them. I think that they probably are. So then you think of what all the other tradesmen do and you're like, uh, it's not that your houses don't get built. Your houses get built and probably to a very fine quality. It's just, it's a miracle that more dead bodies aren't found in your foundation. Jeez. (laughs) (laughs) Don't look behind the curtain. I know. Now I'm going to check my foundation. I'm terrified. Check your foundation. <laughs> with one of those machines There's a lot of red gun. clay. This do do a little ground penetrating radar and look for any holes. Any yeah. Um, but to to Thomas's actual question, <laughs> look, uh, this is book, good. This is good to know. <laughs> yeah, the book came about because of the executive coaching. So I would find myself saying the same thing over and over and over and over and over. And over again, to the point where I put together a course and originally it was it was really badly titled. It was called Basic Instructional Technique because a lot of the um, coaching that I was doing, most of the people that I was working with were having to run meetings or do some kind of initial training, like people's orientations or um keynote addresses or like safety meetings or leading things like that. And it's really a a matter of instruction. So I thought, oh, it's a really cool acronym, BIT, basic instructional technique. But really what it was, was public speaking 101. And whenever you tell somebody that they have to take public speaking training, or you're going to even do talk about anything about public speaking, they always panic. So I wanted to take speaking out of the title. Mm hmm. What I found was that that was a bad thing to do because people felt ambushed when they realized what it was that they were taking. Um, so then I, um, I changed it a couple of times. It morphed. And then, uh, a really, really smart business advisor that I work with, um, said, if you really want to have an impact, make sure you have a book. Like you're not going to speak on the big stages. Cause at that point I was trying to do a lot more keynotes and, uh, she came to me and she said, you, you need to make sure you have a book or you can't get booked on the big stages. Hmm. And I was like, well, how do I write a book? Like, I don't want to write. She's like, well, take one of your training courses and transcribe it. Then I went, oh, because I record because I'm an actor. I'm naturally vain. I record absolutely everything that I do so that I can learn <laughs> theoretically. Right. It's really just an ego boost. But because uh, I watch them back, I'm trying to learn and trying to get better. Sure, sure. And so I had hundreds of hours, hundreds of hours of, of training videos. Um, from, you know, private coaching sessions to these in-class things to larger ones. And so I just, I took all of that, transcribed it and, and it became the book, which was remarkably easy. Like the process of putting the book together was so much easier than I thought it would be. And the process of actually having it published and put out into the world was so it's much a different story. Yeah. I thought the hard part was writing the book and putting it together. The yeah. birthing it into creation was the easy part. The actually having it thrive and survive was, was 
the weird was part. a different story. Yeah, totally. So a lot of the book is spent with like, you know, pre-talk prep and showing people how they're, um, most people prepare for speeches wrong because they prepare for speeches the way that an actor prepares for a performance. And a speech is not a performance. A performance is a performance. Speech is a presentation. And ah, I love most, that distinction. Yeah. Most people will try to memorize a script, but you and I both know what's, what's the longest monologue either one of you has ever done page wise. Oh, Tom wins oh. this one. He's done a one man show. <laughs> I did a 40 page one man show um, last year. That was, yeah. Oof. Okay. And exhausting, right? Exhausting. Pure yeah. performance. Absolutely. Most people will try to prepare a 45 minute speech the way that you prepared your one man show. Oof. And it's and that, not. And that's what I mean. Yeah. Right. So you have no production value, first of all, right? And there's no, you you understand performance and script and how those beats go in. Most people will try to memorize that script, memorize that text. And how long did it take you to put on your show, Thomas? Oh, two, uh, six weeks. So six but, weeks from the writing the oh, script? I didn't write it. It was written, uh, it was somebody else's. And, but we started rehearsal. We had six weeks of rehearsal. And in, in that time I learned the script and then we ran it for six weeks. Right. So six and how how many hours a day typically were you? Oh, please! It was my life. I was like, I mean, I, I mean, I would wake, I, I would wake up and go. I mean, from the moment I woke, because and I just had out of out of sheer fear because if I wasn't going over it, I was going to forget it. Because <laughs> yeah, I was you are, run, you are literally running lines from the moment you have a shower to like mm -hmm. bedtime, and even then, you're drifting off to sleep, going. And then blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you just got it running in your head. Okay. Oh, yeah. So most, most people will be told that they're going to give a presentation and will spend uh, somewhere between a week and, a two, and two weeks, about an hour to an hour and a half a day, trying to memorize this 45 minute keynote. Impossible for one. You don't and have they've that. And they've also written it themselves. And some people might not be adept at doing that. Exactly. So it's not going to be broken down into beats. Exactly. Because it's easier. Yeah. Because it's not a performance, it's a presentation. Yeah. Presentation, yeah. And yeah. so they're they're spending all of this time wasted, absolutely wasted, because they're trying to memorize their own words when the reality is they know their own words because they're saying them. So what they need to do is memorize, as you pointed out, beats, bullet points. They need to break down what is the key information that needs to be presented, what is the key story that represents that information that they're trying to make, and then memorize what the flow of the presentation is, not the words that they're going to use, because the words that they're going to use will be highly, highly in, in, uh, affected by the audience, um, what the audience knows, like it will change every time. I've never given the same. I have two standard keynote presentations, one on safety, one on speaking. I have given those hundreds of times and I've never given the same presentation twice. Of course. I used to do that with them. Um, I taught comedy traffic school for a while and I would, you know, you'd break, there, there was no way it was done the same way. Because first of all, every class was different. There was never the same group of people how they were going to react, how they were going to respond. And so I had the bullet points of like, okay, what's this? This is what I have to cover. And here's how I'm going to cover it. And it's a flow. You bring, there's no way to, to, to do it perfectly in everybody. So I get people that want to do like, I'm going to do this perfectly. I'm going to do this speech perfectly, hit every syllable. I'm like, no, you're not. Take a breath, you know, because then you're losing personality. And not only that, the worst part is what happens when you forget a, a, a single word. 
the whole thing goes off the rails. I try to explain to people. It's like saying that I need to Jenny, where are you located right now? I'm in Durham, North Carolina, Durham, North Carolina. So I want to go down to Durham, right? Sure. If I'm trying to memorize a speech, it's like me saying I'm taking flight air, um, United airlines flight one seven, seven, five from Calgary to Durham on, mm-hmm. you know, October 5th at 2 PM. Well, what if the flight gets canceled? <laughs> I can't go anywhere. And that's the problem with the memorized script is that you can't go anywhere. You've purchased this ticket and this is the only way you're getting there. Where <laughs> if you like, if all I say is I got to get to, even if it's just South Carolina, right? I just got to get to South Carolina. If we end up in Durham, great. But if I end up in Raleigh, you know, hey, I'm close. Yeah, right? I'm close, close enough. Find a way. I just got to get to South Carolina. And if I know what the end destination is, then, hey, let's hop on a plane, but it's only going as far as Chicago. Now let's rent a car. There's no more car rentals, unfortunately. They're all, so, hey, well, we can hop on the train. It Trains lets you gonna, adapt. It, it lets, lets you adapt, adapt and be, fle- yeah, be flexible. You're taking your audience on a trip and they have to get to the end of destination. So if I need to detour to Florida to pick up Thomas along the way so that we can end up in South Carolina, hanging out with Jenny, having a good chat, that's what I need to do. Yeah. Right? And it, when you lock yourself into the script, it's, this is my one-way ticket on this airline. <laughs> so you still see yourself as an artist? I do. I do. I And... Um, not necessarily an artist, but definitely, uh, uh, creative and a performer. I think I'm a performer. Uh, I know really good artists. I know really good actors. I'm also not a really good actor. I am an unbelievably adept day player. (laughs) 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 If I stick in my lane, you know what I mean? I have made a career of playing, um, really good gay guys, mean guys, and mean gay guys. And if I stick in that <laughs> thing, if I stick there, oh man, I'm good. But you try it. Like, I'm not, you know, I, I am not a really, I, first of all, I'm not a method actor. I am, uh, you know, and although I get to play some fun, lighter roles, uh, they're usually, I, again, they're always the villain. Like the last two things that I did um, uh, theater wise was I played Mayor Shin in The Music Man. And <laughs> and then uh, this, per, the, the a musical that I produced, uh, I got to play the villain. I know you're all shocked. Uh, <laughs> so here you are reflecting back. Clearly you're a, a wise man, a smart man. Um, you could have done so many things. You could have skipped over those 20 years and gone into business. You could be richer now. Do you look back and regret any part of being an artist? Not even a little bit. Could have done? No, no. It's in my DNA and it's why my current business is thriving, I feel. You know, like I said, I spent a good part of a decade trying to bury the fact that I'd done any kind of performance and hoping people didn't find out like it was somehow a dirty thing, you know, Uh, because it wasn't it certainly wasn't professional. How can you be a professional in a suit and tie and (laughs) have been an actor? And then I laughed. I'm like, what what is every Hollywood producer? A very smart exactly. businessman suit and tie that's into performance. Like, how? Why do I have to to shy away from it? And and we, I really saw my consultancy take off uh, in the last three or four years when I put made that connection. Where I yeah. was like, no, you know what? I I am an actor. I am a performer. Um, and 
I, I am very creative and I don't like thinking within the confines of somebody else's structure. Well, that's a perfect segue. Um, it's time for shameless plugging. So where can people find you um, besides your website, or maybe it's just your website? How can they reach out to you for coaching? Um, where can they find some fabulous keynotes? How do they work with, pay you money? Can we buy uh, your book? Sean Tyler Foley. Oh, yes. <laughs> so a couple of things. I'm going to let everybody know how to do that in a second. But they before they jump off of this platform to go find my platform, they're already on your platform. So I would implore your audience right now, Jenny and Thomas, if they are enjoying the Unusual Creatures podcast, if they're getting value out of it, if they're coming back and they're listening, they're coming back for a reason. It's because you two are fabulous. Thank but you. Bless you. If they haven't told you that, they are doing you a disservice because it's the only way that you can find guests like me or better guests. Like there was a guest probably that resonated with them that got them hooked on your show. So totally. what's that guest? What was the content that you provided? Give you a five-star review right now because they're already listening to you. So hit pause on the device, give you a five-star review, be specific on what it is about the unusual creatures that's bringing them back. If they're willing to do that, Yes, they've hit pause. Yes, you agree. They've okay. Pause. <laughs> hit pause. You've left the review. And now you're like, now what, Tyler? What do I get? Now, well, now that, how do I find Sean Tyler Foley? So for if they are able to give you a five-star review, then I would encourage them to come over to SeanTylerFoley.com. Sean is spelled the proper Irish way. S-E-A-N-T-Y-L-E-R-F-O-L-E-Y.com. SeanTylerFoley.com. If they come there, uh, one of the things that they can do right away, right at the top of my website, is an invitation to come to my Endless Stages Facebook group. Don't go to it through Facebook. Can you get there? Yes. But you won't get all the fun free stuff that you get if you gave the Unusual Creatures a five-star review and came through SeanTylerFoley.com. That way, um, not only will you get to join me uh, for my live training sessions every Tuesday at noon Pacific, three Eastern time, uh, we go live at uh, for 20 minutes and I do a presentation on whatever happens to be popular in the group that week. I will also give all of your audience members a um, free PDF download of my book, The Power to Speak Naked, number oh, one. Oh, well, that's so nice. Thank you. And uh, they'll have access to my Drop the Mic Trainer series as well, which is um, self-paced online video. So all of those things are made free available to them if they want to come through the website. If they're like, yeah, I don't do PDF. I don't <laughs> like digital. I want the analog version of your book. For your I know those U people. Yeah. yeah, for your US listeners, I would encourage them to go to bookshop.org. Mm. Um, bookshop.org is a fantastic website. It, uh, allows you the convenience of doing online shopping, very similar to what you would on Jeff Bezos' site. The difference is Jeff Bezos has flown himself to space in a phallic shaped rocket and probably doesn't Sir? need more money. No, he but doesn't. Bookshop.org will digitally connect you with your local book retailer who very likely is struggling right Thank now. Thank you. And yeah. could use your business. So Absolutely. you get the convenience of being able to sit you know, in your underwear on your couch and click, click, click and get my book to come to you. But you can be naked while reading Sean naked. It's that's it's right. It works well. um, but uh, you don't have to, you know, support a, a multi-billionaire and his uh, space ventures, but you can support your local book retailer. The other advantage to it is to bookshop.org uh, tends to list its titles 
for a fraction cheaper than what you can get anywhere else. So my oh, book wow. retails for $17.95, but on bookshop.org, it's about $16.50. So you save yourself a little bit of money going to bookshop.org. The other, other advantage is bookshop.org takes a percentage of all of its sales and puts it into a pool and a fund that uh, local bookstores can apply to for financial aid and relief. And right now, I think they've raised over $20 million. So That's amazing. incredible. Buy my book through bookshop.org. You are saving money. You are getting your first introduction into the stuff that I do anyway and figuring out if you like me. You are helping your local bookstore and you're helping all local book retailers in the United States. Now, the problem with bookshop.org is it's only good for US orders. So if you mm-hmm. live outside of the continental United States, this is not going to work for you. But uh, in that case, my publisher did a really good job of getting my book everywhere. So just go to your local <laughs> book say, hey, I want to get this book from this guy. It's got a naked dude on the cover and I w- really want it. And they will be like, okay. <laughs> and say it just like that. <laughs> You'll certainly reach a certain kind of audience with that, at least. I, ha- mm-hmm. I have to say, Sean, you know, I, it reminded me, I, I wrote a note down earlier um, when, you would, when you had said one of the reasons you, in your inflection point when you left, you're like, this role could have gone to somebody who wanted it more. You looked at your bank account, I had enough money. You Now you're like, you're, you're not only... You're trying to get people to save money. You want people to say you want to help save this bookstore. You want to. You're, Meryl Streep gave a speech in um, her lifetime speech at, at the Golden Globes, and she said where everybody was. It was about we were doing that birtherism thing at the time, and um, she looked at Ryan Gosling. She's like, and Ryan Gosling, just like all the best nice people in the world, is Canadian. And you have just now you have just proven that point again. The Canadians are just seem to be the best people in the world. Well, and well, I'll, I'll give the Canadians this: we definitely have the highest export of good-looking Ryans. I mean, yeah. you know, like we have, <laughs> that's true we too. Have yes. Ryan Gosling, you know, Ryan Reynolds. Like we mm-hmm. we like to make really attractive Ryans. Ryans, <laughs> specifically, yeah. I think yeah. it's our second largest export, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Sean Tyler, Tyler, you're amazing. Thank you so much for giving us your time, for giving our audience uh, a free PDF copy um, of his incredible book. Please, please, please check out his website, seantylerfoley.com. Uh, please be sure to support him. Clearly, you are supporting a nice Canadian. And isn't that a nice thing? <laughs> well, and especially in US dollars, because for every US dollar you give me, I get like 9,000 Canadians. So it's great. Yeah, exactly. Ah, exactly. <laughs> oh, now there's the fix. There See, we go. Even, even better to support Canadians. <laughs> This has, been, this has been a great episode. I needed this today. Thank you again, uh, Sean, for visiting with us. Hopefully we can uh, meet one day in the future in person. That would be lovely. Good luck to everything you do in the future. Um, and Jenny, thank you for a wonderful first season. Um, it's been a blast. I want to thank all of our guests who are part of our season one family. Absolutely. Uh, and we want to thank all of you out there listening. Please, please keep liking and clicking and sharing send us reviews send us emails even if you want to send us a hateful email but still leave a five-star review you know you know you can tell us that you didn't mean it but you know just still leave the review. <laughs> so, um and thank you for joining us and jenny thank you for making that drunk voicemail all all the, <laughs> that last year that started off this whole thing absolutely yeah you know one of the, one you, of the, one of the few drunk things i don't regret <laughs> i love you darling um and we love you all have a good september have a good beginning of fall bye bye
Thanks so much for listening to The Unusual Creatures. We love telling the stories of these creatives, and we hope you love listening to them. You know the drill. Subscribe where you love listening to pods. Send links to your friends and tell everyone you know about this show. And I mean everyone. Counting the minutes until we meet again. And keep being unusual creatures. Unusual Creatures.